0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Jody Greeny, Assistant Professor of Kinesiology at University of Texas Arlington. Recently, Dr. Greeney joined us for a webinar on the use of microneurography to measure skin sympathetic nervous system activity with a focus on data analysis, interpretation, and its application coupled with laser Doppler flowmetry. Let's get right into it. Let's jump right in with the first question. Jody, can the same experimental approach be used to assess sympathetic control of sweating?
1: I don't see why not. Um, I don't have any personal experience with measuring sweat rate, as I said, because our we were focused exclusively on the mechanisms controlling reflex cutaneous vasodilation. But certainly, neural traffic directed to sweat glands is a large component of efferent SSNA during whole body heating studies. So if anyone's out there, feel free to, to ask and then answer that research question. I'll look forward to reading about it.
0: Excellent. Next question here. Is the record, is the neural recording stable throughout heating and cooling?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question that I alluded to a little bit during when I was playing those videos. You know, these are some of the most stressful experiments as a micro that I've been in, because once you flip to the other water tank of either hot or cold water, you've really reached like the point of no return in terms of making fine adjustments to get a better quality signal, especially if the subject like shifts or Coughs during the whole body heating studies in older adults, the older men in particular always fall asleep and they like jostle themselves awake. So when that happens, it's really incredibly frustrating. We do our very best as investigators to make sure that the participant is relaxed and awake for the whole experiment to minimize any sort of reductions in signal quality or shifts in electrode position. But unfortunately they happen and you just kind of have to deal with them.
0: Excellent. Uh, Great answer. Uh, Here's a a good question from Natalia, who's asked, does skin color influence laser Doppler measurements?
1: Uh, That's actually a really good question, and I am not going to be the expert to answer that for you. I know that there have been some laser Doppler flowmetry-derived studies of skin blood flow from both Larry Kenny and then also Matt Brothers in the recent years. I apologize for not being up to date enough to be able to give you an answer on what they tell you. But I would start start with a PubMed search of those two investigators. They they should have some studies of, of skin tone and Caucasian versus African American in terms of skin blood flow responses.
0: Great. Perfect. Here's a good question. How do you differentiate SNA from cutaneous afferent or motor fibers?
1: That This is an interesting question. So we've actually tried to do things to elicit an afferent signal, and we've been completely unsuccessful. So obviously, you can get an afferent response when you stroke, for example, the dorsum of the foot, you see the very clear afferent signal. We've tried to activate that separately using air. We've blown cold air on the foot. We've used menthol gel. And we've been unable to to elicit an afferent response, at least in terms of the multi-unit recording. So I'm not sure if we'd have to talk to an expert on kind of the the more nuanced types of recordings or like filtering that you can do to maybe drill down to the afferent signal. Motor units, you just kind of have to learn to deal with and do your best to make the subject comfortable to eliminate any interference from any motor nerves that you might be picking up. They're they're going to like really cloud signal quality and, and really make your data unusable.
0: Excellent. Great answer. Good question here from Josh, who's asked, what do you think are some of the things causing the individual variation when plotting SSNA and CVC?
1: Yes, that is a great question. And we've tried to answer it. I don't have a good answer for you, unfortunately. In that study, we also anecdotally, we thought as investigators, just like noticing the, the subjects, we thought that fitness might be playing a role. It, it, at least in our hands, it did not. Fitness could not be blamed for any of the variability. Let's put it that way. But certainly the study was never designed to be an assessment of Fitness and like aerobic exercise, so that those were a more focused study to answer those research questions is probably necessary.
0: Excellent. Thanks. Another one here. In your experiments comparing SSNA and reflex cutaneous vasodilation in young and older adults, did you see differential responses between older men and women?
1: Off the top of my head, I don't know. The subject groups in those studies were probably between 12 and 14 young and 12 and 14 older adults with as close to a 50-50 split of men and women that we could. So we were definitely underpowered to make any statistical comparison between sexes. Anecdotally, I don't think that there are, but again, being so underpowered, I, I hesitate to make firm conclusions.
0: Right, right. All right. Here's a question from Joshua who's asked, how does your search strategy differ when trying to acquire SSNA versus MSNA?
1: That's a really good question. So in my experience, SSNA, this is hard to do just speaking through a computer. In SSNA, I insert the electrode at a much flatter angle and I aim it more distal. Whereas for muscle, muscle SNA, is usually you have a better, at least I have found better luck going with a more proximal location of the electrode with a bit more of an angle up towards the uh, fibular head. That's just me, though. I've actually never talked about this with any microneurographers. so I'd be I'd be curious to hear what other experts have to say.
0: Perfect. Thanks a lot, Jody. And we've actually got a message from Larry Kenny, who's actually here. And he said that skin pigmentation does not influence laser doppler flowmetry, but tattoos might, and so there's yeah. there's an answer from the man himself, so thanks a lot, yeah. Barry. Um, I spend
1: my time blaming him for all of these sorry. Pres- pres- <laughs>
0: All right, new question for you, Jody, from Noah, who's, who says, coming from someone without much background in SSNA, is there any parallel to be drawn between systemic SNA and cutaneous SNA? And in other words, can SSNA be used as a surrogate measure of SNA to other organs?
1: No. <laughs> so that, no. I mean, an SSNA, if you're recording from a skin nerve, you're presumably recording neural tract traffic directed to the cutaneous vasculature. So it's not, it cannot be extrapolated to any other organ systems. And in fact, oh wow, this is now stretching my memory. So we've done SSNA, recordings of SSNA during whole body cooling. And in the same individuals, we've also performed recordings of muscle SNA during whole body cooling. The responses are are not necessarily the same between skin and muscle, which I think, again, highlights the differentiation of the sympathetic nervous system.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Jody. A question here from Brooke. When you obtain a nerve recording, will you always have a mix of SSNA and MSNA, or will you usually see one or the other?
1: Microneurography to me is like Murphy's law. If you have a protocol where you're targeting muscle SNA, without a doubt, you're going to get the most beautiful skin recording ever. And then that's where it just takes those micro manipulations of the position of the electrode to kind of parse out one signal versus the other. In my opinion, the mixed sites are literally the worst thing that you can have happen because they're completely unusable. I mean, you can't, at least to my knowledge, you can't do a protocol with a mixed. neural site. I'm not sure what that would mean for you in terms of data interpretation. The way that we designed the studies at Penn State was most participants came to the lab for two separate study visits. On one of those, well, on their first visit, I went with whatever I got. So if it was muscle, we did the muscle protocol. If it was skin, we did the skin protocol. It's on their subsequent study that the pressure was on me to get the opposite of what i got on their first visit these were the studies that really solidified to me the importance of keeping a good laboratory notebook i take like crazy notes about the individual's anatomy what i think about where the muscle versus skin may be how comfortable or uncomfortable they weren't to really do everything i could to increase my chance of success on the second visit
0: All right. Great answer. And some uh, really nice tips there. Here's a question from Paolo who's asked, I'd like to know whether skin vasoconstriction is induced only by the sympathetic nervous system or by things like vasopressin.
1: I think that skin vasoconstriction is mediated by the sympathetic nervous system. I'm unaware that vasopressin would have a role in median cutaneous vascular responsiveness. Although I'm not, I have to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. Certainly, there's a variety of neurotransmitters that are responsible and contribute. I mean, constriction, at least. There's norepinephrine, of course, but there's also NPY. There's some evidence that ATP plays a role in eliciting the constrictor response, but I'm not sure on, on other hormones.
0: Right. Okay. Another question here from Yuan, who's asked, uh, should you expect a, dec- a decrease of sympathetic activity during heating?
1: So that's a good question. And in fact, there have been, there is some evidence out there in the literature to suggest that SSNA declines at the onset of heating, which is thought to represent the withdrawal of of vasoconstrictor tone. We never saw that maybe in a handful of older adults we never saw a decrease. Maybe it just didn't increase from baseline until they got to about 0.4 or 0.5 degrees Celsius above thermoneutrality. In most of the healthy young adults, anecdotally at least, when the hot water touches their suit, within like three or four minutes of it circulating, we started to see large increases in SSNA. Some of the differences between what we would observe and, and the published literature is the, the approach used to whole body heat the subject. So a water-perfused suit in our hands versus sitting passively in an environmental chamber on the other hand, the stimulus is just much less severe.
0: Right, right. Anthony has asked, what are common time delays between spontaneous changes in SSNA and observed vasodilatory responses?
1: So we have not performed those studies, so I'm not entirely sure. For that reason, I really do hesitate to speculate much beyond that, I guess, unfortunately.
0: Perfect. Okay, no problem. And I think, yeah, we'll make this next question the last one here. Martine has asked, how long can you have the electrode inserted?
1: So these, in my experience, microneurography studies typically take about four hours, like three to four hours, I'd say. These re- The technique is very challenging. And when you get a good recording, you want to maximize it, especially in terms of muscle SNA. If you're doing shorter protocols or stimuli, for example, like the cold presser test, hand grip exercise, if you have a good recording, you, you want to do everything that you can. These whole body heating and cooling studies were a little bit different. The heating takes usually about 45 minutes or so. We have like a whole secondary arm of those studies that I didn't talk about. Once we got them to the one degree increase, we clamped them there for about 45 minutes. So in total, about three hours, which I think is on par for other other neurographers in the field.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.